here we are. We're at the end of what has been a really strange year for all of us. And I know that there's a lot that we normally associate with the college experience that sadly you haven't been able to participate in this year. But I hope that you have been able to engage in what's the real reason for you to be here in college or why you should be here in college in any case. And that's to learn, to learn. I mean, that's why you're all here in college, right? You want to learn. Whether you're studying the natural sciences or studying the liberal arts, you're here in pursuit of the truth. You're here to come to a greater understanding about yourself and about the world around you. I mean, that's what college is really all about. It's not just about qualifying for a job after graduation. It's not about getting an A on your exams. It's not about maintaining a certain GPA. It's about the pursuit of truth. And that's a very Catholic thing. It's a very Catholic thing, the pursuit of truth. I mean, the Catholic Church, after all, established the very first university systems in Europe for the purpose of pursuing truth. And the reason they called these schools universities is because of the universal scope of what they intended to study. Not just what we would call the natural sciences today, but mathematics and theology and philosophy and the arts. And that's because the human mind is made to know truth, both the truth about God and about ourselves, about the world that God made and our place within it. We long to know those things. And so pursuing truth is a very human thing and it's a very Catholic thing for us to do. And so with that in mind, I think it's very providential that here at the very end of this academic year, the scripture readings that the church gives us for the sixth Sunday of Easter reveal to us the fundamental truth of all reality, the truth that lies at the heart of everything. If you're fans of Douglas Adams and the Hitchhiker's Guide, right? This is the answer to the question of life and the universe and everything. You might fail all of your classes, but if you learn this one thing, you'll have learned enough. What is this fundamental truth? It's this. God is love. God is love. It sounds like a sentimental statement, doesn't it? It sounds like something you'd put on a bumper sticker or print on a t-shirt. God is love. We read that verse, and it's really easy for us to think, oh, how nice, that's a lovely statement, and then we move on to the rest of the, rest of the passage. We might think that this is just a poetic way of saying, God is lovely, God is loving, God is lovable, and he is all of those things. But that's not what the verse says. It says God is love. And if we take the time to think about what that asserts, it's striking just how odd a statement that is. God is love. How can God be love? Love is something that you do. It's not something that you are. Right? Love is an action word. It's a verb. It's dynamic. How can you be love? 
Well, to understand that, we have to make sure that we know what love is, don't we, right? And I don't mean a crush. I don't mean affection. I don't mean what you feel for that cute guy in class, right? I mean love. And the classic definition of love is to will the good of another. To will the good of another. But even then, we have to make sure that we, we understand we're not talking about just a passive desire or a wish, right? I can wish you well. I can wish you well. And that's not really love. It's when you actively work for the good of someone else. That's love. When you sacrifice yourself for the good of someone else, that's love. Love doesn't just mean having good feelings about someone. Right? Love is a choice that you make. It's something that you do. And that means it's something that you can either do well or do poorly. There are degrees of love. And if God is love, then obviously God would have to be the perfection of love, the greatest love, the perfect love. What would the greatest love look like? Well, Jesus tells us. He says the greatest love is this, to lay down your life for your friend. I mean, think about it. If love means willing the good of the other, it makes sense that the most radical way of doing that, of willing the good of another person, would be to give your whole self to that person. Devote your entire being to that person, even to the point of giving your life for them. And it would have to be done freely, right? Because love can't be forced. Love has to be freely given. Love has to be chosen. And for that love to really be perfect, it has to be reciprocal. When you love someone who doesn't love you back, that's not perfect love. For love to really be true, it has to be reciprocal. The person that you give yourself fully to would have to give themselves fully back to you. Fully and freely. This mutual gift of self, one person to another. And what's revealed to us in the scriptures today is that God is that. God is that. God is the free and complete reciprocal self-gift between persons. That is the nature of the divine. But that still doesn't help us understand. How can someone be that? <laughs> How is that something you can be? That's too much for one being. Right? The free and complete reciprocal self-gift between persons, that's, that's a lot. That would require a lover and a beloved and the love that they share between them. But that's what God is. God is the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So when John says God is love, that's a Trinitarian statement. God is the lover, the beloved, and the love. Each person giving themselves so completely to the others that they share in the same being. And they do this for all eternity. That's God. That's love. And since God is the primordial being, since he is the first cause of all creation, what this means is that the fundamental nature of reality is love. What this means is that the force that brought the universe into being is love. It means that the image in which you and I are made is love. And it means that the purpose of our lives is to love.
and to be loved. Love is the reason why we exist. Now, with all that in mind, listen to the invitation that Jesus gives us in the gospel. As the Father loves me, so I love you. Remain in my love. Jesus tells us that no one has greater love than to lay down his life for his friends. And then he calls us his friends. He says, I no longer call you slaves, but I call you friends. Let me tell you a story about a slave that Jesus called his friend. St. Josephine Bakita was born in Sudan sometime around 1869. And when she was just a little girl, maybe seven or eight years old, she was kidnapped by Turkish slave traders. She was sold and resold and resold repeatedly to different masters who treated her so unbelievably cruelly. One of her masters was a military general who would flog her every day until she bled. Every day he would do that. That was his routine. She had another mistress who liked to carve designs on her flesh and then pour salt in the wounds so that they would form a scar. She called that art. That's how they would treat her. She was so abused that at one point she forgot her name. She forgot her name. Can you imagine being in so much pain that you forget who you are? You lose your very identity. It was another one of her masters that would give her the name, ironically, Bakita, which means lucky. They called her lucky. But eventually, Bakita was sold to the Italian consul in Sudan who took her with his family back to Italy and she was treated there with more kindness. She um, worked as a babysitter for the family, and she would accompany the child that she was taking care of to catechism classes. And that's where she learned about the Catholic faith. And she began to feel drawn to it. And so she asked to become Catholic. And when she was 21 years old, about as old as a lot of you are here now, she was baptized and confirmed into the Catholic Church. And she remained in Italy. For her entire life, she eventually joined a religious order there in, um, in Verona and became a nun. And now you can imagine, um, in late 19th century, early 20th century Italy, the sight of this scarred black woman in a nun's habit walking the streets of Verona was a curiosity for many people. But, but people were attracted to her. And what attracted them to her was her simplicity of life and the great holiness that she exhibited, the joy that exuded from her, and her great sense of hope. She became such a beloved member of the community that the local citizens called her affectionately our black mother. She's our black mother. And when she died in 1947, people came to venerate her body, and they would touch their rosaries to her, like a relic, because they knew even then, this is a saint. She's a saint. How did that happen? How did this woman, who had been abused until she lost herself, find her identity? Where did she find hope? How could she possibly be happy, given everything that she had been through? 
is because in Jesus Christ she recognized a master that was different from any master she had served before. She recognized a master that instead of flogging her, would be flogged for her. A master who would give his life for her. A master who called her his friend. St. Josephine Bakita described her faith in, in this way. These are her words. I am definitively loved, and whatever happens to me, I am awaited by this love, and so my life is good. I'll say that again. I am definitively loved, and I, whatever happens to me, I am awaited by this love, and so my life is good. My brothers and sisters, you have been chosen by God. You have been chosen. You've been chosen by the great love that underlies all of creation. The love that brought the universe into being calls you his friend. You are definitively loved. And whatever happens to you, you are awaited by this love. Remain in this love. Share this love with one another. And your life, whatever happens, will be good.